The following is a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. From the birthplace of modern winemaking, Sonoma, California, welcome to the winemakers. Local experts Sam Katuri, Bart Hansen, and Brian Casey, along with host John Myers, invite you to listen in as they discuss all facets of winemaking. So sit back, pour yourself a glass, and let's hear what the guys have to say this week. Oh, we got a dual pour. Welcome to the Winemakers, everyone. This is Brian Casey with Sam Katurian, Bart Hansen. John is off on special assignment back soon, uh, we are told. Um, is it, By him? It seems. By it right. seems. Yeah. And, uh, Hope you're feeling better, John. Yep. And, Feel uh, well. back soon. And guess who's back? Guess who's back? It's Artie Johnson. But it's, it's Actually, back. it's not back. It's back, but back for like the first time. It's back to the future. You know, we did a show. Sam, you got to turn your microphone on. What? Turn my microphone uh, on. Awesome. There we, we did a, go. We did a show in the Zoom era. Is my microphone on? Yeah, your microphone is on. Great. We're so professional. Um, on brand. We did a show with Artie in the Zoom era. We did. Yeah, uh, it was just the three we, of you. I thought we had done one before that. I don't think we'd ever done it in real no, life. I think no, it okay. was only the Zoom. It was the Zoom okay. era. Mid-pandemic. Mid-pandemic. I think Phil made a cameo. He did. Um, but we also, like, you know, we didn't have the wine. We weren't sitting down at the table. Well, I've um, done, I think most of us have had the wine. Just we didn't have well, it we didn't on have the it show. in the I mean, right. I think you had a bottle of something. I had a bottle of something. Big yeah, fan Sam, of you were drinking out of a Corvin. Oh, I think it's, actually I still have that bottle that I Corvin that day. Oh, I remember that. Somewhere. You mean with wine in it still? I was going to yeah, make I a comment, so. but I didn't want to get canceled. <laughs> <laughs> canceled free. That's come up <laughs> twice now. We're just getting started. <laughs> and and Artie, your favorite wine of mine has always been the rose. I mean, I guess we're just this is our, we're famous for this. Has been the we're rose. In the Thank you. And but I'm told now you're not making rose. <laughs> <laughs> I still make a little bit of rose. I, it, you know. When I started making rosé, it wasn't the cool thing to do, and now now it's very cool. And there's there seems to be more on the market than we actually need, uh, probably for another decade. So I, I <laughs> it's like porn. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know why they make porn. They should just take a break for like ten years. Let us all yeah. catch up. So I'm gonna I'm gonna let somebody else get some market share, and I'm gonna concentrate on uh, Chardonnay, GSM, and Syrah. Okay, and things that can sit in our cellar for a little bit, and and. And hopefully not. Uh... I I opened up a um, like an eighteen, one of the roses that I bought from you. Yes. Uh, recently, and that stuff can be in the cellar. From Le Artichasse. Yeah, I'm I'm not gonna from from Artie. One of the most beautiful wine labels in the business. Thank you, thank you. Shout out to Richard Von Saul for say it three times fast, helping me create that beautiful label. Yep. It is a. The labels are red. Let's start from let's wait. Should let, we start no, from the beginning? No, let's no no no. Let's start no. with <laughs> what were you doing before you got here today? Wow. Today, oh yeah. You know when we talked I mean, about doing this, I said I want to come on here. You know, mid harvest when things are crazy. You said when it was off. I think when you said it when it's off the charts. Yes, something of that nature. And I feel that way because I'm I'm pressing and I'm barreling down right now. I also have a release so. Wines are going out, but this morning we dug out a really amazing tank from uh, from the Rocks District, and it was um, it was a three and a half ton tank 
that was a hundred percent whole cluster. So, you know, that's a pretty <laughs> tough dig out. It was like a, like a bunch of spiders coming out of there. Right. Uh, so it took us a little bit longer uh, to do it. So I, I thank you all for waiting for me, but we're doing winemaking uh, this morning. Now we're doing podcasting and, and later we're probably going to be doing uh, packing and shipping. Yeah. Yeah, sounds about right. That's the decathlon. Right. The decathlon. Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're teasing ahead. Um, how much of those bears were still intact? Like, so because you brought that in two weeks ago, I remember yes. the, seeing the truck on Instagram. Absolutely. Um, you know, how much of that is, you know, how aggressive were the pump overs on that? How, you know, get some carbonic, right? Yeah, you get you get some carbonic. I don't love, um, I think if I work with stems or I have any carbonic nature, I want to use it in a way that you're guessing as to whether that actually happened. Okay. Um, you know, mm -hmm. did you use stems or is there some carbonic? But if you say, hey, I smell and taste the stems, we, we might have overdone it. I think you right. went too, too far. Yeah. Right. Everything is a, for me is about balance. It's, it's a cliche word because everybody gets to use it. But I think uh, actually practicing it is it's pretty challenging because you have to restrain yourself. And um, when we do whole cluster ferments, we actually foot tread quite oh, a bit okay. what we'll do is we'll foot tread because i don't want a lot of that carbonic activity and i also want a lot of juice to get the fermentation started um early i know that would be contrary to uh pinot noir producers who want a like kind of a slower fermentation but i like to i like to get i like to get going but you know a lot of those pinot guys one of the things they're trying to do is extract color you know before the fermentation Absolutely. starts and you're talking about syrah mm -hmm. and Looking at the end of those corks sitting across from me, <laughs> not a concern. Color is not an extraction issue. is not an issue. Yeah. No, it's not. It's not. And I just, you know, I think uh, we have so much beautiful fruit in California. I think the whole cluster gives some kind of savory context uh, to the wines. It's aromatically beautiful. You know, it binds color. Uh, it does a lot of cool stuff, but you can't overdo it, and you also have to know which sites uh, that you can do it with. Right. And um, and I think you have to respect it. You know, I I either do all destemmed or all uh, whole cluster. You know, I'm kind of huh. not in the middle, but I do the percentage of the wine. I know kind of where I'm going to be. So when I bring in the different vineyards, I understand what's going to be destemmed and what's going to be 100 percent whole cluster. But I might end up with probably anywhere between, I'd say, 35 and 55 percent whole cluster in the overall wine. Right. How do you make that call? Like what's gonna get? Why? What's what's the thing that goes? Okay, this is the vineyard that gets destemmed, and this is the vineyard that goes color cluster. Or this this you know lot, that, that lot. Like, what? How? Or, or what's the guiding? I think the, the answer principle? to that question is one that we continue to build over our lifetime of making wine. So the more access you have to international producers who use stems, you hear a lot of different things. I mean. I think whether the whether the vineyard is irrigated or dry farmed is a big thing. Um, whether or not it's a cool site or a warm site, uh, the clonal material, the rootstock, um, you know, and, the, ex and, and the what exposure, about the and the previous year's experience too, right? Yes, you know, I tend to to destem uh, vineyards when I work with them for the first time, but I think I made an error this year because I had this vineyard that I said. You know, initially I said, man, I should probably do some whole cluster on this. But I was like, nah, I'm going to see like what it's about for the first time. And it wasn't the right decision. So I think sometimes you have to feel it on top of these things. Right. And um, you have to look at the age of the vines as well. 
And um, I think there's so many different things. There's probably about 10 different things. And if you feel good about six or seven of them, you're pretty good. But if you feel bad about eight of them, just de-stem. You know, don't be a hero. Right. That's kind of what I learned. You know, I, we're not doing it to be cool. We're doing it to add complexity to the wine. I'm not doing it to say that I do it. And I think with, you know, carbonic or, you know, stem inclusion, like these have become like buzzwords. But Absolutely. my ultimate goal is to make the best wine possible. It's not to like tell people how I make the wine. Yeah. I mean, I think it's interesting with stems is trying to figure out, like, is it is it a textural thing? And I think different wines show each other differently, right? Yes. So you, the first year you use a certain amount and, you know, maybe you don't like the texture and then you make an adjustment for the next year and whatnot. And, um, but, but Bart, isn't the isn't also the color of the stem like you don't want really green? You know, stems? We, we've we've had this conversation with Dave Ramey, if you remember, and there's there's two ways of thinking about. You know, sure, the are the rachises, you know, where the cuts are 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 they brown and drying there? But it doesn't matter if the whole rest of the stem is still bright green, right? And and I don't remember who it was that he was talking about it, but basically the stems are stems. Most of the stems I work with are pretty scary looking. Um, you know, you're not going to feel great about <laughs> right. about putting them in the tank. So I think the lignified thing, I've, I've kind of tossed that out a little bit. Right. Uh, and then some people say they taste the stems. Um, I just think you have to, I work with a lot of Syrah vineyards, you know, I'm, I'm upwards of 15 different Syrah vineyards. So with that kind of experience, you have to trust your instincts. Right. I mean, there's a couple of vineyards where it's like, man, there's no way those stems are going anywhere near <laughs> the fermenter. Right. They're just too scary looking, but then there's Wait, some, in what, in what way are they scary looking? Um, I think one of the things that I didn't talk about is you have to look at the berry size to stem ratio. So that's that's kind of a clonal thing, but that's also a sight thing. So if you see way more stem than berry, right? Okay. So you're if you're right. outnumbering the grapes, yeah. in, I mean, we're in talking about logical, yeah, like right. logical things yeah. like that. And, uh, and berry with, size, yeah. Also. And with Syrah, that's that's a year to year thing. Yes. There are times where the berries look like basketballs, and days years that they look like golf balls. Yeah, and sight so, to sight as well. So sight to sight. A little less stems this year than maybe you. Uh, Man, I got after it pretty much this year. I wanted to see what the limit was. I told my wife, I said, honey, you know, <laughs> I was, I told my wife, I was, I'm going to push the limits, man. I want to see where the, where the walls and the floor and the ceiling are. And I was very excited that I did it. Now I didn't haphazardly do it. I had a pretty intricate plan of which vineyards, how many tons from which vineyard, what percentage I wanted to be on. But I think the thing is sometimes like people throw it like 15% stems like, man, you're not doing anything. <laughs> like, you got to be like, at, you know, 25, 50, 100, somewhere in there for for there to be a meaningful impact because you hmm. you want the wine to say something. If you get caught in between um, thoughts, then you have a wine that's in between thoughts. And I, I like to have wines yeah. that are very, very precise um, and, you know, when you make wine, some people are going to love your wine. Some people are not. I think that's okay. But you have to know where you ended up. And everything I do is pretty calculated. And, uh, and, and my wife will probably tell you I obsess over these things before they happen. So when they happen, I go in with a lot of confidence because I've reviewed the options in my head over and over again. And I think this year, I use more stems than I have in the past, and I'm really excited about the result. But I was more calculated in which sites I was going to use the stems on. So I think that's really important. Interesting. I, I um, The frequent 
check-ins and text messages and calls and Instagram messages about uh, when we were going to pick the Rossi Ranch make so much more sense in the context of you obsessing over uh, the... Wait, already got. I understand. I understand. Just a slice of no. None of us got to call the pick. There's three people at this table who ostensibly purchased sixteen six hundred Rossi Ranch fruit, and none of us decided the day we were picking it. Did you decide? You know, every year, every year at Rossi, it's really funny. So I, you know, I I call Sam and I say, "Hey, what's going on at Rossi?" Because I'm spread pretty thin, you know. And uh, I know in certain vineyards, I have I have friends that are there that really know what's going on. So, you know, Sam's like, you should probably go take a look at it. So every year I go out there in the vineyard and I look and then I get on my cell phone and I text Phil. I'm like, hey, Phil, like, when can we pick Rossi? And he's like, how soon do you want to pick it? I was like, oh, as soon as possible. So we <laughs> Two weeks later. <laughs> yeah. No, he gets it off for me, man. He gets it off for me. And the block that I'm in is... Uh, I think it's really special it you know the 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 slope um you know it's really stressed block and it's up against the forest and uh i just love the expression that's why i brought it today we'll get into it a little bit later but that's a site that to be honest with you there are some sites where you cannot miss the pick if you miss the pick you you will experience pain but rossi is is just one of those things it's just the flavors are so amazing and the soils are so amazing that Every year I'm like, man, I should have got that earlier. I should have got it earlier. And then the wine comes out and it's incredible. So I think you have to know when you work with a lot of sites too, which ones you need to like pinpoint. And then there's others that have a bigger window of picking. Mm. And Rossi's a little, that window's a little bigger. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. A, a larger margin of error. Absolutely. And, and, and yeah. I think it's interesting to walk those because I, I spend too much time out there. Well, and, I remember you want it's the, uh, it's, and you sent me you go you sent because me you want to go today. Right. I mean photos this year you sent yeah. me and I was grateful for those yeah. photos because I was like am I dehydrating out there right and you sent me those photos so thank you for <laughs> yeah. that but but it's interesting to watch the the people that are in the rows next to you or the blocks next to you and I know that at one point it was like well Carlisle's picking and I went well, maybe I better go out and, <laughs> and kind of see and um yeah, it, it's it's interesting how um, to watch what everybody's kind of idea is and yes. then know that ultimately Phil's kind of keeping an eye on things and um, he's directing the ship. And, yeah. you know, um, but I've I've not been upset with one time with a pick out there. I mean, they've all been the right time. Yeah. And it's a meticulously farmed vineyard. The plant material is amazing. The site is amazing. Um you know, it's very special. I think one of the things that's important when you're working with a bunch of different vineyards is understanding the style of the other producers that are in the vineyard. So when you have producers that are known to pick very, very early or very, very late, I like to be in the middle. So, you know, I'm working with over 15 sites from uh, the Rocks District in Oregon all the way down to Santa Rita Hills. So that's a lot of ground to cover. I need to like depend on uh, my growers, first of all, and some trust. Yeah, absolutely. And second yeah. of all, the awareness of understanding who's picking and what style of wine they make. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I was gonna say La Mer. Oh, should we talk about actually I mean, talk about the one that mentioned Santa Rita Santa Hills? Hills. All right, yes. let's start. Let's start in the south and yeah. work our way north. I, yeah. I, I mean, my 
um, well done, Walla Walla Washington Wine Association or Alliance or whoever brought me up there. You know, going up there and doing that event that I did is sort of made me slightly obsessed with wanting to know more and taste more about the rocks and talk about the rocks. But let's start in let's start in Santa Rita and move north. I'm down. Let's do it. Let's do know. it. It's in our glass. Exactly. Should we talk about uh, the brand of just a smidgen so you know people know absolutely what we're talking about and where to get it and um absolutely you know, and, and yeah. Um, Since we haven't talked about that at all, right? Who, who is Artie? What yeah, brand is he? I, I make uh, I make uh, two uh, wines from two different brands. Uh, one is called Le Artichassic. I started that in 2015, and the other one is called Decathlon. Uh, I started that in 2020. Um, so in Le Artichassic, we have Rosé, Chardonnay, uh, GSM, Syrah, and Carignan, and uh, each of those wines is usually a blend. Uh, of different uh, vineyard sites. So what we're tasting right now is La Mer, uh, which translates the sea. And it's actually Santa Rita Hills uh, AVA. It's La Rinconada uh, Vineyard, uh, which was formerly owned uh, by the Sanford uh, family and is currently owned by the Terlados, uh, who are very special people to me and uh, actually uh, allowed me to get this fruit uh, because they're growing uh, quite a bit. And, and uh, as you know, when you're a producer and a grower, uh, you tend to take more of your fruit back, uh, but they've taken a hard stance that they they want me to have it and they like what I'm doing. So I get a couple of tons from down there. Uh, I normally either go get it myself or I have a reefer go pick it up. Um, it's salty. It's got the oyster shell. The Pacific Ocean is a massive influence. Like you cannot get away from it. You have to actually go with it. Uh, amazing soils down there. And uh, I love making Chardonnay because it is... Um, it is up to the personality of the winemaker. I mean, I love white burgundy. My wife loves white burgundy, um, but we make wine in California. So I kind of want the essence of white burgundy, but I also want to honor uh, what we have here in California, which is texture. So if we get texture naturally, then what am I looking for? I'm looking for good freshness. I'm looking for the perception of minerality. You like how I said perception because we're not supposed to use that word anymore. Because it's not real. <laughs> like, Just because perception. it tasted like rocks. <laughs> don't believe that. The scientists said yeah. it's not real. We don't taste minerals. You know, and, and this gets <laughs> this lives in 500 and 600 once or twice used barrels, um, never racked. I go in with kind of light leaves. You know, if it flows, it goes. I don't like to get like too do, crazy do in there. Do you stir them at all? No. I don't stir. Um, I'm looking for kind of like precision and not just with Chardonnay but with all my wines the style is like precision so I'll give up a little bit of like richness to have to have more precision but this is the 18 vintage and I think it's just starting That's, to like wake up a little bit yeah. how, do you, how do you all enjoy this wine well I, I definitely get you know the saltiness and the perception of minerality perception of minerality um, and, and could be a band name <laughs> hey for real clothing brand clothing brand there you go um, but and it, but but it's uh, undeniably Chardonnay, you know, and that's coming from someone who doesn't drink a lot of Chardonnay. Um, but would you have said California Chardonnay if you didn't know? Because that's the thing to me is like, well, I certainly wouldn't have thought uh, Northern Sonoma. I wouldn't have thought for sure Sonoma coastal, coastal um, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I mean, it's for me the colder the better. Yeah, like if I'm yeah. making Chardonnay, I want a cold site because it allows me to hang longer. Um, but like when you think about I mean, I love Nilon, uh, Le Fleve, uh, Rouleau. Um, you know, you think about David Ramey has taught me a lot 
um, Ceritas, um, old school Stony Hill. Um, uh, who am I leaving? Oh, what they're doing down at Sanford right now is really special. Uh, my buddy Matt Courtney uh, at Arista. You know, I, I'm a privileged guy. I have access to a lot of people that make great wine, and I listen. I realize I have two ears, two eyes, and one mouth. So when I'm around these amazing winemakers, I'm listening and I'm asking them questions. And um, there's a lot of people that help me understand how to get to where I wanted to be with Chardonnay. And my principles are, I need freshness, I need texture. And one of the things that Matt Courtney told me a long time ago, you want the balance between richness and weightlessness yes. at the same time. Yes. And it's the hardest thing to really, um, to, to really do. And lately, to be honest with you, I have been attacking my Chardonnay vineyards a lot earlier, kind of like how I went uh, a little intense with the stems this year. With Chardonnay, I'm picking earlier and earlier and earlier. And the crazy thing is every time I feel like I'm picking early, when I get to the wine, I'm like, man, I could have got there earlier. So <laughs> I have a lot of respect for the ripeness that we're able to achieve naturally <clears throat> in California. Well, so this is 2018 and I, I don't know Santa Rita Hills Chardonnay, but if it was like 2018s around here, it was a big crop, took a long time to get ripe. Yes. And this, you know, this is well-balanced wine. I, I don't really care about alcohols, but it's not like it's particularly low. 13.6. Oh, know, for sure. Yeah. It seems, you know, middle of the ground. Yes. So when did you, when did you pick this in 18? Do you remember? Like well, you what's, know, what's the. Historically, I'm one of the last people to pick yes, uh, I mean, in that and, vineyard. And, and talk funny. about that, like what that vineyard, you know, picks out kind of like. Yeah. You know. know, there's some really amazing winemakers down there. I mean, there's Justin Willett is down there. He actually helps me out a lot. Uh, Raj Parr is in there. Gavin Channon is there. Like these are a lot of my friends, but also guys that I respect quite a bit. And uh, it's funny because I'm no notoriously one of the last people to pick, you know, so I, I kind of have that like Napa guy uh, reputation. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, man, Artie's still hanging. But I know that, I mean, the, the TAs in these wines are so crazy. So my perception right. of balance is that I get some ripeness with that acidity. Um, now, naturally, hanging late, what happens there is your pH kind of creeps up. Right. But the TA still stays high. Um, so you're able to create this wine that has a lot of richness and texture, but still has a lot of brightness at the same time. I mean, that's the thing about like my thought about it and why it is so un-California to me is the ripeness of the acidity, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So it's not like super citrusy, right. like trop, right. you know, it, it's that perception of minerality, that like oyster shell yeah. thing, I think uh, that, which is to me like it's, it's ripe acid. Right. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, and sometimes I think because there is, believe it or not, acid added to wines or right. to juice that there's a difference between naturally occurring acid and, you know, dumping a bag of acid into a tank. Right. And um, I think that's the difference between natural acidity and what you said, like, you know, we're just it's breakaway acid. Right. We used to call it acid breakaway. We'd go, whoa, what is that? Right. So Yeah, I think with every site, it's really important to interpret the site. I mean, I work with so many sites that I have to let them be what they are. Right. Like you cannot go against the, if you go against the, the site, it'll win every single time. Yeah. So I respect the acid of this site. Like it is so high. I mean, we're tasting this wine 2018 now. Like when that wine yeah. got released, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's a disadvantage. Right. <laughs> I mean, that thing was tuned up. And I'll tell you what, you know, three, four, five years from now, that wine will be tasting. Mm -hmm. you know perfect so 
Some sites are higher acid, some are lower acid, some are warmer, some are cooler, some are more angular. Um, but I, all the expressions of the winemakers that make wine from this site, when you line them up, they all get to their own balance. And balance is not just this one thing that one winemaker can create. We can create it with different styles. I had an amazing conversation with John Consgard oh, one time. You. Okay, I was yeah. gonna I was gonna bring up Consgar because that sorry to interrupt you, but that was the last time I remember having a conversation about weightlessness and Richness. and was was the uh, the judge I had had the Chardonnay yes. Yes. and it, it was I I kind of compared it to a marshmallow yes. where a marshmallow like had this weight in your mouth that had a richness to it, but it also airy. It, it was airy yeah right I had amazing conversation with him like I said I'm grateful for the access that I have and you know we we vibed on some cool stuff I. I met him and uh, he introduced himself. He's like, "Hi, I'm John Costa." I was like, "Oh, I know who you are." <laughs> so, you know, it's the world I live in. These are people that I, I grew up, you know, selling their wines in a, in a yeah. previous career, and now I get to see them at cocktail parties and ask them. And one thing I'll say about all these people is they're always down to talk about wine, and they're always there. You know, two of my biggest mentors. Um, first of all, you know, Jim Clinton and Rest in Peace. I miss him so much, um, and and yeah, and Bob Linquist. You know, uh, they helped me out so much in the in the early years, and I still seek that. I still seek that knowledge. I think that's important for all winemakers. Sometimes we get like locked in our own thing. You know, we have these big organizations and all the structure, but you know, you got to get out there and talk to people. You got to see what other people are doing. You got to be inspired by other people. And that, that's a big thing for me. And during harvest, I, I go out. I, I get so frustrated with some of my friends. Like, they can't text or call or email because it's harvest. Like, come on, guys and ladies. Like, it's harvest. This should be the most joyful time, period. Like, yeah. I go out. I see what other people are doing. I still get my work done. So it's not an excuse to become super insular because it's harvest. Harvest is supposed to be an excuse not to go to meetings about budgets and exactly and, and, and advertising yeah. campaigns. Harvest is supposed to be about no, I can't, I can't do that. And then you go and you hang out with your friends and you meet for a harvest beer and you, you know, taste fermenters together. So yeah, you, you have to be have inspired. That, you have that cool relationship out at Eighth Street East just because you have so many people doing the same thing at the same time, so that you can sort of just hop next door and see what what they're up to at bedrock or you know flip over to and see what casey's up to with his grenache or right. um you know because you're all in the same space i mean it literally doesn't take you any time you're not having to travel anywhere you you just walk the very least you're meeting at the taco truck right, right. Yeah. every time i right. think i have a real business i look over at bedrock and i'm like <laughs> <laughs> like oh man i'm not doing nothing the institution <laughs> bedrock university man i walked so, in there this year i was the looking, ivy league school i was looking for morgan and uh i mean they were in it you know i was a little bit behind them and they looked they looked to be like man who's the civilian <laughs> <laughs> didn't have that panicked look in your eye yeah i thought they're gonna eat me <laughs> they were in it man they were in it yeah it's dangerous to walk in there i you know i mean with without anyone knowing what size they are you still see trucks like pull by and you know that they're in it like you yeah. know that they have right. a big day in front of them yeah and i really identify with morgan because he he uh works with so many different vineyards yeah. and i do as well so he understands the logistics of that and i think the beauty of you know i had a i had a client the other day ask me like what was the point of doing that and the I point said, of doing what? like working with so many different vineyards and i said well you know 
it's really special to work with all these different terroirs, you know, and then be able to blend them together. But he was very confused by the answer. And then I, I realized like, wow, this is not normal. Like this is not something that people are used to that you work with this many sites in that range uh, and then blend together or keep things separate. Uh, so it was a great conversation and I was appreciative of it because I should probably do a better job of like explaining the why. And it's like, why do you, you know, we know you work with all these different sites, but like, why do you do that? What is the I, point? I mean, you know, I don't know about you already, but I, I'm a go around and I'm like, I want, I want some of that. And I want some of that. I wish I could buy, you know, Hey, do you, you know, there's a little extra this. Do you want it? And I want to say yes to everything because I want the chance to learn from those different sites. So, um, but it's a matter of, you know, you have to, as you say, you have to respect everything and you have to respect your time and, and, and getting the work done and giving it the, giving it the attention it deserves. I agree. So, you know, God bless you. No, thank you. And also, you know, the, the relationships are amazing. So if I'm working with 15 or 20 sites, that's 15 or 20 amazing relationships with growers, you know, that enriches my life. You know, these are people that I learned so much from and they're so dedicated to farming. You know, wine is an agricultural product. You really understand that when you cover that much ground and you meet people who are so passionate about grape growing and you cannot make a great wine without an amazingly farmed vineyard. And that's when you start to work with these special sites, you realize <laughs> you get spoiled actually, because if you start working with another site that's not at the same caliber, you realize like, oh, that's not at the same caliber as these sites that I already have. So I have a respect now for the fact that I'm working with these amazing sites and amazing growers. And then my job is really to figure out what's, interpret the terroir, stick to my style and evolve my style over time by learning, and then let the site speak for itself. Sounds super cliche because a lot of people say it and they don't do it, but I feel like we're really doing it. I feel like that's what we do well. Right now we're having the 2017 uh, Bartholomew Park Syrah, and this is Bart Park in the glass, and you all know it well. It's, it's like let the site speak. This wine is delicious. Thank you, you. You do. Is there a little oak on there? Or is you that, know, or is I like that to stick, like some second some second fills or something? I like to stick to once and twice use 500s and 600s. Okay. Now. Because of the math, like sometimes big, thick, those like big thick, thick stave, yeah. yeah, never racked, uh, super low SO two. Um, you know, I brought I brought you all this bottle of Gangloff twenty fourteen. I, I almost just went straight there. Yeah, and I love. <laughs> I was so, like, oh yeah, you're, you're so before. predictable, Sam. <laughs> I was like, man, let's leave him last. <laughs> let's, let's let him go last. But like, I, I think about Gangloff and Aliman and Jamay, and I kind of love that, you know. I mean, shout out to like, you know, Pax and Chad Melville, who, you know, really, really worked hard in the sector of American Syrah. And they drink some of the same stuff too. But I'm trying to show the varietal aromatically and also on the palate. And Syrah has this range, right? Like, you think about it, it's like red fruit, red fruit, blue fruit, black fruit. And then there's like white pepper, black pepper. And then there's like green um, uh, earthiness or mintiness. And then there's like dark, like cinnamon and stem. And you have to figure out a way to put all these together. And then you have to figure out what your oak program is going to be 
So it enhances the wine, but is not on top of the wine. So as many used 500s and 600s that I can get, that's what I'm going with because I want some of that support from the oak, but I don't want oaky, smoky, toasty, or vanilla because that overtakes the beautiful aromatics that the varietal has. But, you know, you're also being respectful of your harvesting because with Syrah, you know, too much extraction or too much hang time and you miss those um, expressions, right, Artie? Um, so, you know, don't cut yourself short on that part of it either. Um, it's, it's being respectful to the actual fruit, right? But, you know, my mentor, I agree, my mentors, you know, uh, Jim Clinton and Bob Lindquist, there were two things they share with me, doesn't make it right or wrong. First thing was they didn't like putting new oak on Syrah. It doesn't make it right or wrong. I don't do it. They don't like to do it. That's what I do. Doesn't mean that right. you can't make amazing wine with new oak. Like people crucify me, right? I say that, especially the barrel. Especially the barrel. Especially and in the um, valley in which you reside. For sure, for sure. <laughs> so it's a personal choice, man. It's not right or wrong. Um, and then the other thing is, I, I like working with large format barrels. I think they keep the wines tighter. Um, they keep the wines more reductive state, uh, and. Picking Syrah is hard. You come early, you get punished because you're working with green. You know, one of my buddies say, you know, you hear people, they're like, I want cherries, I want strawberries. They never say like, I want broccoli, asparagus. <laughs> That's what you get. That's what you get early. And then late, oh man, you come with the, like the pruny, cooked, caramelized. Like, so you have to be in, in the middle, but you have to understand each site. Like some sites can take dehydration. Some sites can't. You know, so there's no one rule. Like people will say, oh, start to pick Syrah when it's like, when it looks like a soccer ball. It's like, well, yeah, some sites, but other sites, you better get to it earlier. So Syrah is this thing that I think has been made by Cabernet producers for so long that we don't even know what Syrah tastes like. <laughs> you know? I wish I would have had that on recording. Oh, we do. Oh, we do. Oh, we recorded that. We record the whole thing, actually. The Bordelais, <laughs> they're making Cabernet. In the Rhone, they're making Syrah. Like... Sometimes we need to just stick to what we do. I don't make Cabernet Sauvignon and I don't make Pinot Noir. <laughs> I like to drink both of them, but I stick to I stick to what I like and what I want to continue to learn about the rest of my life, uh, which is pretty much Syrah and Chardonnay. Um, I do dabble in uh, GSM. Uh, I did some really, really scary, like 100% whole cluster uh <laughs> upright barrel ferments of Grenache <laughs> this year and every year like halfway through I'm like man I who's scared about that. it you're Me. scared by yeah. it or like the people <laughs> that work in the cellar uh, I actually want to ask you this question I don't know if I ever really have um I mean you make Grenache and Syrah and yes. so you know you're clearly in the wheelhouse of like the winemakers podcast and all of our sort of rony uh, awesome. contemporaries you, you know, your previous career, you know, in the restaurant and hospitality side. Yes. Your your work, you know, the places you've worked in Napa that if I said the names, I'd drop them and they break my toe. Right. Um, yeah. I would be here without those places. Right. Too. But and, you know, the best Cabernets on the continent at the very least. Um, but you, you make Rhone varieties. Yeah. And, and so, you know, all the exposure to all the wine that you've been able to have in your life why these varieties 
That's a great question. And I think it forces me to, to think about the answer to that question. You know, first of all, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be where I am without uh, Harlan, where I started, uh, Maya Kamas, uh, where I went after Harlan, and then Staglin, uh, where my wife's family um, does their thing on the Rutherford bench. Um, you know, I'm passionate about drinking Cabernet and Pinot Noir, but I'm passionate about making wrong varieties. And I think with Pinot Noir and Cabernet are kind of like the extremes in a way. We all have this idea of what Pinot Noir should taste like or what Napa Cab should taste like. But with Rhone's, you get creativity. As long as you you nail it, people will accept it. Um, so it's the freedom that you have within the Rhone's. Now, you can't use that as an excuse. Right. You know, just because you made some Rhone wine doesn't mean it's great. Like it has to be great. But there is a big, there's a big acceptance, I think, from clients with the Rhones. Like, you think about Northern Rhone and Southern Rhone. Collectively, mm -hmm. those wines are so different, totally different. But you'll look in someone's cellar, and they'll have they'll have both. They'll have right. the range. So I think it's the range, and I think it's also. I wanted to I wanted to make a difference somewhere, and I feel like with Chardonnay and Syrah in California, when it's all said and done, I can actually make a difference. Mm. You know, we have. For so long, we had one particular style of Chardonnay to the point where people actually believe that they don't like Chardonnay. Right. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And then with Syrah, people, you don't, you have no idea what they're thinking when that word comes up. They could be thinking about Shiraz. They could be thinking about the Northern Rhone. They could be thinking about Paso Robles. Like, I mean, what is Syrah? So I want to try to help define one little piece of each of those varieties. Like, what is chardonnay in california what is syrah in california but take it back to the varietal less about me and my style and this impact more about like i'd like the clients to understand the varietal so when you smell my syrah and you taste it the one thing i started off with was we were going to be varietally correct aromatically and on the palate that was step one and step two after that then we were going to look for balance mouthfeel texture long finish and all of that stuff but i want the syrah to smell and taste like syrah and i want the chardonnay to smell and taste like classic chardonnay if you took both of these bottles around the world south america germany france australia they'd say oh that's syrah or oh that's chardonnay that's a good answer yeah it must and have been a good question <laughs> But but at the same time, but, so I what I that was a great eye roll. What part. I sort Thank of you. get caught up in with you have with a teenager uh, at home, one, <laughs> Sam. Your question of, uh, about Cabernet is that it's I don't drink like I I very rarely drink Cabernet Sauvignon, and I very rarely drink um, like I don't drink a lot of Chardonnay. I drink some Chardonnay, but it's those two varietals for me specifically get sort of categorized as one thing yes to where right. this is what chardonnay is and this is what cabernet sauvignon right. is there seems to be a set of rules that are assigned with cabernet chardonnay pinot noir well yes. and they're and they're very much in like their own category whereas with Rhone stuff it, it there's this wider spectrum of flavor profile that you yes. get into with those there's still discovery. I mean, you think about that's this. exactly it. There's yeah. still a lot of discovery to happen. You think about the success that we've had in California with Cabernet, Chardonnay, and Pinot Noir, and there's a reason why 
the style has been interpreted in a certain way is because of the success. I think we're still, we still haven't had that success in California with Rones. So that discovery, that ability to, to push those varieties forward is what's exciting for me. It doesn't make it better or worse. You know, I, you know, my wife's family at, at Staglin Family Vineyard have an amazing Cabernet project. I've worked at amazing Cabernet projects and, and many of my peers do. And I appreciate those projects, but I see so much potential, so much opportunity. And I'm a guy that likes opportunity. I like upside. If there's no upside, traditionally, I don't want to have a part of it. And I think with Rhone's right now, there's an upside. With interpreting California Chardonnay, there's a massive upside. We did this blind tasting uh, with several other of my peers of our Chardonnay. And Francoise Pechon showed up. And she made this statement that I'll never forget. It was so encouraging. She, she looks around the room and she says, wow, look at all you young people reinterpreting Chardonnay in California. And it was the first time I saw what we could actually do, how we could show another lens. And it doesn't mean it's better because we need Aubert. We need Kistler. We need Consgard. We need those wines. And we need those wines to be good. It's like they say in baseball. Baseball's better when the Yankees are, are good. Yeah. <laughs> we want them. We want them. To I like be it good. when they're good enough just to fail. <laughs> That's when I like the, the good enough to get knocked down in the LDS. No mercy from Sam. No mercy, no mercy. said about the. I like it when they're. Right? I like it when they're flipping off Ted Cruz. When they get a lot of TV time and then drop off and at then, the. At I, the I love. End. I love when the Dodgers losing the playoffs. Yeah, <laughs> I love when the Braves losing the playoffs. <laughs> You know, you know, winemaking is the only thing that I found in my life that I, I liked more than baseball. I played baseball up through college, played center field at the University of Texas, and uh, there was a void in my life for a long time. Like you a hook em, a hook em hook horns. Em horns, man. Hook em horns, hook em horns. Glass clink, two, two oh, fingers. Yeah, right. Shout out to the baseball oh, yeah. program and the new coach. He's doing amazing things with those young men. We went to the College World Series last year. Um, and uh, and we came up a little short, but I was so proud of those young men, the way they fought. You know, we have to fight. Sometimes, you know, you're gonna lose, right? But but you, you you need to fight every time. So let's get the football team going too, man. Let's get them going. <laughs> let's get them going. Okay, back to Syrah for a minute. So Sonoma Valley, Syrah would be great wine to drink with all the food in Austin, Texas. Absolutely, Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah, barbecue, um, right? Whoa. Mexican food. So, so the so the Syrah sites currently yeah. are Bart Park is not well, there anymore, right? You've moved on. We've all you know, moved, we've I, all I, moved on right, from right, Bart right. Park. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was that was kind of what the point that I was trying oh, to make. Oh, there, and Bart I mean, mentioned that's um, that's Bartholomew Park for those listeners that don't yes. live here in the area. Yes. Um, yeah, it's not the park in my backyard. Yeah. Right. Bart's, Bart's Park. Um, Bart's Park. Something from The Simpsons. But, Watch out for those backyard right. venues. Those will get you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's, all, that's a whole podcast there, right? You got to like, be a really yeah. good winemaker. Yeah, I got this vineyard right next to my lawn and vegetable garden. Right. Um, so I guess what I want to know is the, the winemaker's small lot blend. Small lot blend. Yeah. Where is this from? Like, well, where is it? So, you know, every brand evolves, you know, and in the beginning I was like, oh man, I'm gonna do some single vineyard stuff. But like when you start like marketing these vineyards and then you lose them, you realize like what a waste of time and energy that was. Yeah. So, you know, we lost Bart Park, we lost Lagier Meredith, 
Um, so then you start to realize like, you know what, I'm not going to do vineyard designate wines. Uh, I'm going to stick to my blends. So the winemaker small lot uh, blend is uh, upwards of 15 different Syrah vineyards uh, from Mendocino all the way down to Santa Rita Hills. Okay. Yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of like, and it, I have to tell the backstory. So, you know, my favorite wines in the world, um, and my wife can attest to this, is uh, is Thierry Alimond, uh, the Alimond Wines, and Eve Gangloff. Um, and I have a great respect for the Grange Project. So I would research these projects, and one time I realized I came upon the fact that, and Jamay as well, they have upwards of 20 different sources of Syrah. We'll just, be, we'll just be dinging the whole time if we tried to keep up. They have so much <laughs> complexity, you know, and so I had this passion for, why don't I try to find some of the best sites in California and blend them together so I can make a Syrah that I feel is extremely complex. So that's what the winemaker's small lot blend is. And I call it small lot because most of these lots are one to two tons. I mean, this year I had some con- come underneath uh, one ton, much to the dismay right. of my crush no, facility. Not on, not on, <laughs> not on purpose. Let's, just, let's be clear. But shout out to Opal Moon, man. Not on on A Street, they treated me right. They let me do my thing over there. I have a lot of respect for what, what they're allowing me to do because it's a little bit of a zoo. I bring in fruit. Most of the time I bring it in myself on the trailer or uh, I bring it in on a reefer. And then sometimes I co-ferment these different lots. I just try to do whatever is best for the wine. I don't try to keep everything separate because I know it's going to get blended together. So sometimes during harvest, I start to pick uh, vineyards together so I can have some tonnage that makes sense in the tank. So what you're going to see in this wine is a lot of range. You're going to see red fruit and black fruit. You're going to see savory and rich. You're going to see acidity. I'm not scared of acid and tannin. Right. Maybe I think I was a Barolo producer in a former life. <laughs> I'm not scared of acid and tannin. I, I mean, Artie, what, what I was wondering when I asked the original question with this, as we're all getting a laugh out of that. Artie, Artie Gaia. Artie Gaia. <laughs> Artie Gaia. Walking through the church with the incense. Yeah. Never as cool books. as Gaia Gaia. <laughs> no, no. She's one of the most That's, special people on this a, planet, what they're doing. And with the the name of all names. Gaia Gaia. Gaia Gaia. Gaia Gaia. Yeah. She but crushes it. What, what, I was, what I was originally going with it is that I was wondering if this was like the stuff that didn't make the vineyard designate stuff. Oh, no, it's the opposite. But this is, this is the opposite. This is yeah. like, this is... This is the culmination of all these places that you've selected yes. to bring them together. That's my top wine. Yeah. The Winemaker Small Lot Blend is my top wine. Right. Um, I created Decathlon to be able to pull barrels out so I could do vineyard designate small barrel production oh, uh, right before bottling. So I decide what the Decathlon wines are going to be. I say, you know what? I like that punching right there. That's kind of cool. So let's highlight that punching from that place, from that vineyard. It's a moment in time. But a lot of times you can do vineyard designate wines. You're married to marketing someplace you don't even own, which is a liability, first of all. And then the grower either decides that they don't want to sell you fruit anymore or they want to sell the property. Like It's a little bit of a nightmare. So I do less and less vineyard designate things unless I have a great understanding and relationship with you it, it it doesn't make a lot of sense for me to spend time marketing something and then five minutes later you're going to decide you don't want to do the project 
it's hard because you know you you try to tie yourself to a particular vineyard for a reason and then just like you said you know maybe you're only taking a portion of it and they come back and say oh no you need to take the whole thing or um, like you said sold and and it's hard because you've put that time into it yeah things um, are too volatile right now yeah and we know that in, in napa and sonoma with purchases selling with the transition from generation to generation so yeah i really wanted to start concentrating on you know marketing artichastic or marketing decathlon and kind of stay away from the vineyard designate thing i still do some of it out of respect right you know like i make a hyde anna hudson um vineyard designate syrah under decathlon but you know those are friends of mine like we have a different kind of relationship. It's, it's a business relationship, but it's also a friendship with Lee, um, Christina, but also, you know, with Larry and, and Chris, you know, he's like one of my boys, you know? So yeah. in that case, we're going to do it, but it's not, I, I used to think it was more about like, oh, let's find these like amazing vineyards and do a vineyard, doesn't it? But you have to realize that if you don't own the property, it's a huge liability to do any designate. I love the way this wine hits my mouth. It hits every portion of it. And then almost is like a funnel where it, it hits every part and then comes mm -hmm. back to the center Yeah, and makes you start to salivate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you want to hear something crazy about this wine? So, and I don't talk about this a lot. So there's no blending session for the winemaker small lot blend, no blending session. What we do is we rack the barrels to the tank. So the most, you know, the highest moment of anxiety for me <laughs> <laughs> is once we get them all to the tank and then it's time to like taste how long do, it. How long do you wait? Oh, not a, not very not much a because second. I'm normally like a like shaking and about to cry. And you just I like love that go on vacation that week and yeah. come back a week later. I love that <laughs> exercise though because I have this theory, like blending sessions are cool, but what we do is we all drink kind of the same wines, right? And we all kind of value the same things. So what we do is we spend all this time like getting the grapes, making the wine. Like, first of all, I make my wine. People ask me who makes my wine. That's always a confusing question. It's like, who makes my wine? Like, oh, I do. Um, and then I also top all my own barrels. So I taste all these barrels pretty much probably 18 to 20 times uh, over the course of the year, every single barrel. Um, I like doing that. It's fun. It's more fun than paying bills. Um, so winemaking, 5%, uh, paying bills, 95%. So the whole concept there is I know these wines intimately. And um, if I feel like the barrels are good, they're going in the tank. I'm not there to determine the style and say, oh, well, is this wine rich enough? Or is it this or is it that? It is an expression of that vintage of all the sites put together. But if we get on a table and we start blending wines and we start getting scared because that's what a blending session is full of fear. What if the tannins are too strong? What if the acidity is too high? So we end up with the same wine. So, okay, then I got a question for you on this. So at what point do you make, do you make the blend? Do you like one year in make a blend and let them marry together? Or do you do it, you know, oh, whatever you're talking you're, about Elevage. Yeah. Well, so and then like how long are you blend how what's the interval between the blend yeah. and the bottling yeah like when do you fill that tank like, that oh, anxiety you know, fills I never, of, like, of tank filling no, like, that's you, a great question yeah, so yeah. what i do is i don't um i don't rack everything together and then put it back down to barrel okay. i let everything live um i let everything live as they're 
own components. Yep. And then right before bottling, we put them together. Okay. Because I want that angular nature. I want those. I want. I want those components to to be more of a symphony than a solo. Yeah. I. I, I mean, I, I. That's awesome answer. First. Yeah. Wait, are we talking about like that's an awesome a answer. day before bottling? Or no, like a couple weeks. Okay. Yeah, I take it all up to tank. But it all goes to tank and stays in tank. As opposed to, Brian, some people will, you know, at right after the harvest the year after, they'll rack everything together, build their blend, and then let them age in barrels right. together as one, right? right. Or do you do it. like that? And and yeah. I've worked for both. We've done both ways. And yeah. I loved your answer about, like, you like that. Yeah. Now, like the disadvantage that. of what I do is it takes a while for those components to integrate. Right. Well, that was the next question. So you have to, like, one of the things that I, I looked at, like, Aleman and Jamé and Grange, you know, it's funny, like, you go to a party, right? And everyone brings this, like, super old French wine and then, like, a young California wine. And they're like, see? See how much better the French wine is? It's like, man, it's like <laughs> apples and oranges, you know? So I, I was like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold my wines back because you never see, like, Aleman, Jamé, Gang, I mean, this is 14, right? You never see these wines young. Yeah. So why? Because they're pretty angular when they're young. Like they're not they're not settled in yet. So I had to come to the realization that all these things that I like, like I like acid, I like tannin, I like, you know, putting all the barrels together, like I like not racking. Well, that means that your wine's gonna be pretty angular and probably disjointed upon, you know, early release. So I've had to fight really hard to to hold back these wines. Shout out to Rosé for helping me do that, right? right. Like, I'm gonna hold back that Syrah while I sell that Rosé, you know? Yep. It's all a plan, and the plan is for people to drink these wines when they're more ready to drink. And I've learned that from Cabernet, you know, the best collectors, right? They're drinking Cabernet that's 15 years old. You know, they, they still buy Cabernet, but they put it in their cellar, and people are like, well, I don't get Cabernet. Well, it's like, are you drinking Cabernet that's 15 years old? Right. So. I love the fact, I want the different elements of the vineyards. If I didn't want that, then I wouldn't get different vineyards. Um, you know, it's not right or wrong. Like I think a lot of times when wines are racked to tank and you create this blend, you put them back down, you're going to get this like amazing, like softness and like richness and approachability. And I think those wines are great. I taste them all the time, but it's not the type of wine I want to make. I want to make wine that has a lot more to say. And maybe sometimes you're a little bit confused. Like great wine is polarizing. Like you need people to not like the wine. And that was my biggest growth as a winemaker is like, it's actually better if some people don't like your wine because commercial products are meant for lots of people. Artisanal products are meant for a small amount of people. I mean, Artie, you, and, and I've really felt this way is that you know there's nothing wrong with the wine you know it's sound, you know it tastes good. Mm -hmm. If people don't like it, it's just because they don't like the style or they don't like the variety. And and you have to be able to let go of that and I agree. go, you know, that's good. You know what, go try somebody else's or try this one of my wine. Maybe it's a little more your style. I agree. That's and once you're comfortable with that, you know, there's a lot yeah. that can be learned. It's about maturity. I think you. one of the things I'm most grateful for is just maturing as a winemaker, you know, understanding the business, you know, it's, it's, I mean, we talk about the wines and winemaking, man, it's about that business. Like you got to get people paid. You got to sell wine. You got to maintain your relationships. Things might not go your way sometimes. Like even when 
you know, you lose a vineyard or something, but you still got to be like cordial with those people. Like you have to handle yourself as a businessman or a businesswoman to even exist. You know, that's why I'm grateful for people like, you know, Phil Katuri, Lee Hudson, you know, the Harlands, uh, my wife's parents, Garen and Sherry Stagland. Like, man, these are people that put in so much time. Like I'm on my eighth vintage, you know? And so sometimes when I get frustrated about things, I realize like, man, you just like, you just got started. Like, you need to just be grateful that you're even in business. <laughs> I mean, but, you know, we want excellence so bad and we push so hard. But I think sometimes it's, it's great to step back and just be grateful for the opportunity that you have. And if clients, you know, if they enjoy my wine, that's great. If they don't enjoy my wine, that's great, too. But more people drinking more wine is great for all of us. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's for all of us. Drink more wine. I mean, it's funny. Great I, wine I, great winemakers. I think about deep what philosophy in the the philosophy of Artie Johnson. May I request something? Yes. I mean, you know, I I don't I, I like my wine, but I don't want to sit here and drink my own wine. I'm, I'm looking for one of these sixteen six hundred raw C Syrah, just beautiful thing. Can I request that? Should we talk to the Psalm? You want me to go grab something? Just go grab that? something. Grab something from the back wall. Yeah. Oh, from the back wall. Now we're talking. 16600 Syrah. With some age. With some age, right? I mean. Since uh, we were talking about age. Right. You saw how we Actually, were why don't age? you uh, see if there's a 14? Um, Artie, one. Just, just so I can get my ass kicked. By my gang love. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I think about something when I first started and was starting to learn about, you know, making wine what goes on in the cellar and stuff yes and i looked at these guys that i that i worked with and i was like man these guys they got 10 years knowledge they've been doing this for 10 years they know so much and you know what 10 years they don't know shit <laughs> right i mean and 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 you eight years like right i i have a feeling that you would say i've learned a lot but i got a long ways to learn and and I feel the same way myself. Like I have so much to learn every year. Um, and it's and almost that's like the thing about this business. Ten years isn't enough time to have made enough mistakes to learn anything. Right. Ten well, yeah. well, like, well like, I made like, a lot of mistakes. Well, so. <laughs> well, ten years most of the time isn't even enough time to be cash flow positive. <laughs> For sure. Well, For sure. It's yeah. like when am I going to stop shoveling money into this yeah, business? Right. You know. I mean, you know, though, especially when you're making wine that tastes better. At year four than it does at year two. Absolutely. Right? You know, there's these outlays yeah. of like paying for shit that you're not going right. to ever, you're not going to sell for five years that, you know, I don't think people when they look or get into the wine business realize the time. Well, you don't want to, you don't want to realize it. You don't want to realize that. You, you think right. you're better than the, than everyone else. <laughs> I remember my 17s, like. You know, we're drinking the 17 bar park right now. It's, you know, it's really pretty. I remember when the 17s came out and I had them in barrel and I taste them like, uh oh, I can't take these to market. <laughs> they were so angular. <laughs> I was like, man, nobody's going to understand this. But, you know, that's what you learn. And now I'm super grateful to be able to sit here and taste this wine with you all because you gain more confidence to understand. Like, you know, it's about longevity, it's about being able to continuously push forward with respect for yourself, for others, but also the excellence. Um, I had a conversation with my father-in-law the other day and he was asking me kind of like what I want to do. And I said, you know, I would like to be at some point in the near future known as one of the greatest winemakers in the world. And I think that, you know, it, it was it was a little bit shocking for him because uh, 
it was a little bit shocking for him because people have different goals. You know, a lot of people's goals are I want to make a lot of money or I want a hundred point wine or I want to be on the cover of the spectator or all these other goals. But for me, I want to let the wine speak uh, for themselves. Like I want to be able to go to the Rhone. Uh, I want to be able to go to Champagne. I want to be able to break out my bottles of wine all over the world and have people say, wow, man, that's really amazing wine. Like that's a great career for me. <laughs> and if I can, if I can have respect for myself and everybody in the process and get everybody paid and have that happen, I don't need anything else. The money's going to come, you know, all the accolades are going to come. I'm not a massive like marketer. It's like, you know, there's a point where you don't have to force yourself in front of people. The buzz that you create is going to allow you into certain rooms. And that's, that's kind of where I'm at with that. That's good. That's really good. 2014 Grenache Oakville ranch. 2011 Syrah Sonoma Mountain. Man. Dos Limones. Dos Let's have them both. What are mm. we doing? What day is it? <laughs> I mean, it's Artie Johnson Day. It's that, harvest. That, <laughs> that, um, that Sonoma Mountain Syrah is so old it even has a foil it has on it. It has a foil on it. And somehow in the like proofing the labels, um, or maybe this was like some idea I had to like put the fill on the on the quad on the tractor oh, yeah. I see in that. white instead of gold. I don't know. Or maybe I just missed it. I think you just missed it. I think it. I just missed it. Who, who knows? Yeah. It's kind of like all you the know, typos on my labels. I just missed them. Yeah. I've, answer, I've answered a lot of questions. I want to ask a few questions if that's okay. Hey, before you do that, Sam, do we want to um, get a hold of our interview for one thirty and maybe push it back a half an hour? Uh, yeah. <laughs> you want me to take care of that? This is no, no, this I is great. I, just this is great radio can, stuff, um, guys. I'll message him. I, I'll text him. Okay, perfect. Yeah, we got to keep this vibe going. Yeah, go for it. Let's hear everything. I mean, I very rarely get to talk about wine. That's one of the things, you know. What? Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, what I'm very passionate about is, I'm surrounded by so many wine professionals that make amazing wine. I don't feel like we have a lot of serious wine conversations ever. Everything's in passing. It's like a cocktail party or or this or that. But we never like actually give the wines enough respect and sit down and talk about them. Do you have a tasting group? Uh, not formally, no. Maybe we need to start a tasting group. We should, you know, like we should just take time to appreciate people's wines. I see all these great wines at parties and it's like, man, people work so hard. I know how hard people work. Right. And it's like there's never like a serious moment. Right. It's always like in passing, like, oh, I'm at this party. I'm at that party. Like, I, I'm passionate about doing, like, you did the rocks tasting up there. I want to get a bunch of people in Napa and Sonoma in a room with tablecloths and and glasses. And let's, like, give these wines the respect they deserve, you know? Unbranded cork. This is something that we've talked about more and more recently. And I think we have a venue for it, too, that we can do events like this that's not being utilized Um so we do Let's stimulate. I mean, some, maybe, what's the venue? What are you, what's in your I brain? Mean, maybe this is maybe this is what we ought to do. The, it, 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 the podcast, the winemakers podcast, yeah, tasting series, seminars. Yeah, I let's, mean, let's learn something. Let's seriously that. Okay, we'll take that off, Mike. If I have one more four hundred, you know, dollar wine out of a plastic cup, man, come on, like let's give <laughs> let's give the wines the respect they deserve. All right, let's hear those questions, Artie. I want to talk about Sonoma. You know, like, I think 
I get to live in two counties, you know. I, I live in Napa, but I also make my wines in Sonoma. And and I, I tend to bring clients over here, you know that, because I want them to experience this amazing, you know, opportunity here. And I love my county too. I think what we do in Napa is very special. One of the things we have is, man, we got the clients, man. I tell you that. Like, <laughs> we got the clients coming in there representing, yeah. you know. And so I like to send my clients over here too to understand what you all do. But I want to hear from each of you the soul of of Sonoma and what that's about because that's what I want to be able to explain to my clients. Like what Sonoma, soul of Sonoma is, about. is farming. Yeah. Like when you look at the county crest, the first thing it says is agriculture. Okay. Right. I mean, that's why this is where it is. The 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 chicken farmers and the dairymen and all yeah. the orchards that were here way back when. But that's why Sonoma County didn't turn into the Silicon Valley or not yes. Silicon Valley, but San Jose because agriculture has been strong here. Um, and there's areas that don't have any water also, <laughs> which has helped also. Yes. But, but to me, I mean, that's the soul of Sonoma is it's agriculture. Mm. Um, it, It's the agriculture and it's the, the diversity of agriculture. And you and you exactly. and you talked about that, you know, the the chickens of Petaluma and the dairies and the cattle of of West County, uh, you know, Sonoma has what 60 miles of coastline. Yep. Um, you know, it has these coastal plains. It has the mountains. It has the Russian River. There's so many. Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> fucking wild. Um, there's so many different types of places to grow things mm -hmm. in Sonoma and and different types of agriculture um you know the the orchards what Sonoma the diversity Valley. of the agriculture yeah the diversity of the agriculture okay. and then you also because of that get a diversity of the wines that we can make mm -hmm. and and the grapes that we can grow and the styles of wines that can be made from you know the the what is it Fort Bragg the what, no not yep. Fort, where the um Sea uh, Ranch Fort C Ross Ranch. the Fort Ross oh, AV you know to Shout out to Carlo Mandavi, man. Car Carlo's out there doing something in Fort we, Ross. We keep trying to get Carlo on here. We want to. He's probably afraid that when he shows up here, Phil's gonna stop and go, "Hey, where where's my, my fucking monarch tractors?" <laughs> um, so, so he keeps he keeps avoiding us. Then he got married and you know makes one in two right. continents. Carlo, come on the show, um, man. Come on. Um, but you know, from from Fort Ross to Moon Mountain to Sonoma Coast to Carneros to Pine Mountain and Cloverdale. You know, Pine Mountain. There's, there's just like, yeah. a, in a way that um, it's our strength and also our weakness. Yeah. That from a know, branding from standpoint, a branding standpoint, people those it's a little those, disjointed. Those clients are landing their planes in and Napa with one thing on their mind, and it's you know it's it's Cabernet and it's this valley and it's you know there's this opulence of it and, and but you don't have that sort of like singular focus i agree well in sonoma and it, it's it from, from varietal it's, or place right, right. and and, yeah. and then the other thing is is that because napa bought in so hard on cabernet organizations in sonoma county looked at you know what we do do well pinot and chard yes but where they decided to put their marketing dollars and their focus was 
was Pino and Shard. Right. And so therefore, you know, Zinfandel's always been kind of the ugly stepchild, you yeah. know. Um, uh, Cabernet from Sonoma doesn't, you know, hold a candle, I guess, to Napa Valley. Good um, for Moon Mountain District. Right. Uh-huh. The lava block. <laughs> yeah. The but lava block, so Robert came in control shy, Wine man. Spectator and right. talk about smoking hashish with Bedouins and the Himalayas. Since the word Zen came up, man, I have to... I have to give a shout out to Brene Royal, man. I made my first Zinfandel this year from Monteroso, man. Come on now. Monteroso. Like, man, that was amazing. And Petit Syrah, too. Zin and Petit. Awesome. So Good for you. you can't I mean, wait to taste those. You know, the reason I ask you all that is um, I'm very passionate about both counties. You know, I I live in Napa and our, our family business is in Napa. And then I make wines in Sonoma. And I source a lot of fruit from Sonoma. I uh, I also get down to Paso Robles quite a bit. That's where my buddies, you know, Juan Mercado and Chris Cherry and and the Badger. Everybody knows who the Badger is. <laughs> you know, I, I don't. What I what I don't like is these rivalries, man. I don't I don't think these rivalries are productive. You know, I think what we have to do is we have to promote our region, but we also have to promote California wine. And I think a lot of times these rivalries don't make the pie bigger. You know, what we're trying to do is we're trying to introduce. Uh, people to great wine. That's why I bring a lot of my clients over to Sonoma County. A lot of my clients stay in Sonoma County because there's cool places to stay and eat. Um, But I don't think it makes Napa better or worse. Um, And sometimes those rivalries, I think if I could do anything in my career, one of the things, in addition to be respected around the world for the quality of my wines is like, let's get rid of these rivalries between counties. I don't think we're making more money uh, doing that, and I don't think uh, we're enjoying ourselves more. No, no, you're right. So, we're not making so, more money. Right. I, I mean, <laughs> Napa still is, but, <laughs> but I mean, here, here's a fact. Here's a fact that goes along with that 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 has built the rivalry. <laughs> Sorry, here's a fact that's built the rivalry. Is that Sonoma? There's a lot of people that they'll come to Sonoma and they'll say, "Live in the Napa life," and so we have been I mean, it's a it's a it's a like a uh, it's like napoleon pe- complex yeah kind of thing. yeah and and people don't they're in sonoma they they think they're in napa like they think napa is wine country oh i get that anonymous yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh you uh, see it all the time people who are staying at the fairmont well, sonoma yeah, I hear, I hear it on their phones. <laughs> that's pretty and, funny and, actually and, and and i and i'll, I'll tell Hashtag you what napa life if if, <laughs> if dwayne wade's if dwayne wade's um uh listening um he was hanging out with chewy Mm. And they were having lunch and and he was talking about the Napa life and he's having lunch with Chewy Ordaz in the vineyard. And I'm like, oh, man, he just he missed it by that much. Just a hillside. Well, I got to you know, I got to stick up for D. Way. D. Way's my boy, man. He and he has a he has well, that's a, why he we're has telling you. Brand, that's why we're so. telling you. You know what I got to do? I got to get I got to get Sonoma fruit. I got to get my home and D. Wade over to 16600. Come on now. Come yeah. on. There we go. Come on, D. There we go. No, D. Wade, I got to I got to stand up for my home. I'll wear my man. Warriors jersey that day. <laughs> you know, all that. All, all that means is I got to get them over to Sonoma, That's man. Exactly. I got I got to show them what you guys are doing over here. I think it's extremely special. In addition to Sonoma, I mean, with 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 the winemakers blend, I'm in. Let's call it Sonoma Coast, Sonoma Valley, Napa, Sierra Foothills, Redwood Valley, Santa Lucia Highlands, Paso Robles, uh, Edna Valley, and Santa Barbara. So I have respect for all these areas and the. the the greatest thing that's happened for my career is I get to meet 
not only the farmers, but different clients. And I get a feel for these areas in California, very special. And that's why I created that wine. I created that wine because I want it to be a California Syrah. If you go to Japan, if you go to UK, people know California. Right. Like we get so caught up in these AVAs and Appalachian, but you could take any Appalachian and you go to a, a, to overseas and you say California, they know what that is. And I think if we continue to push the quality of California wine as a whole, people will learn these AVAs. They will learn these Appalachians. And think about that list of places that you just said. There's not a place on there that you don't want to go to. I agree. That you don't want to visit. You know, go to Redwood Valley and go up, you know, go into the Redwoods, go out to Sonoma Coast, yeah. the foothills, you know, Santa Barbara's like the, you know, California Riviera. Like none of those places are places that you don't want to visit. There's no reason to like say, oh, I, I don't I don't go to Santa Barbara. I don't go to the foothills. It's too pretty. Right? Paso like, on 120 well, yeah, it was 100 and it was 119 yeah, when you walk here. Out, <laughs> like, when you it didn't fucking of, matter. <laughs> when you walk out of the restaurant and pass the Robles at lunch after like seven bottles of wine, and when that heat hits you, man, you, you feel like you might need medical attention. <laughs> <laughs> but Sam, even at, I'm, I'm sometimes amazed when I talk to people that are coming in for dinner and I, they say, oh, we went wine tasting tonight. I said, where did you go wine tasting? I'm, I'm surprised when they say, oh, we went to Kavira. We went to Dry Creek Valley. Right. And I'm like, holy shit, you actually drove 30 miles away from the hotel to go do wine tasting. Right. Because the focus seems to be like what's immediately available. Um, right. I mean, I think that I think which I'm okay with. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not complaining. <laughs> like, please stay local. Don't get in a car, ride your bike, take an Uber, come on down. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people, people, a lot of times people come and they don't realize that Healdsburg's 45 minutes away from right. Sonoma. Right. And, and likewise. Um, uh, so I think that's can be confusing. And, and again, it's all. What do you all country. see as the state of the California wine business a dec a decade from now? Because that, that a decade from now is going to be kind of one of our finest moments. Right. We're going to be of that age where. You know, we've been doing this for a little bit. Where do you see the industry 10 years from now? I think um, by necessity, the emphasis will have shifted away from the varieties that we all identify with as, you know, the Pinot Noir, the Chardonnay and, and the Cabernet for two reasons. One is climactically, mm -hmm. uh, but the other is 10 years from now. The people who have been supporting that sector of wine are going to be buying less or not at all because their sellers are full or the doctors told them no more drinking or they just aren't around anymore. I agree. I think that um, it is incumbent upon us for so many reasons, but those are like the two top to like figure out our shit with mm -hmm. with Rones and Syrah and these, you know, the Portuguese varieties um, because of, you know, we, you know, uh, uh, stake our futures on on Chardonnay and Pinot Noir and, and Cabernet. Um, we really are what, like, Diana Snowden says, called us the, you know, emaciated uh, polar bear on a melting block of ice. Yeah. Uh, but if we are able to, uh -oh. uh, 
He always there's like a I, I just there's gave like a, a wave to your dad. There's a there's like a like, there's hey, like an Artie Johnson radar detector in can we Phil's get Phil, truck. Can we get Phil over here? I think we need to pour Phil some of this 2011 Dos Limones Serrano. Gotta get Phil here. Got an extra glass. We right go grab a glass. Man, this is an honor here. right here. He's on the phone. You talk about. Of one. course, he's on the phone. He's always on the phone. No, but I appreciate that. I appreciate yeah. you sharing that. And the reason I the reason I asked that is we are all all four of us sitting here. We have to be stewards of this business and where it's going to go. And I really feel like one of the things 10 years from now, the difference is you hear people talking about, oh, you have to tell your story, tell your story. Well, you have to have a story to tell. Right. I think what's going to happen is if it's a, a real brand where people are doing real work with real passion and real sacrifice, those businesses are going to do very well. Um, but if you're just in it for the money or for the fame or for as a hobby. Or not even for the money sometimes over there, 30% of the cab producers over there in Napa aren't even profitable. Well, I said hobby at the end. Right. I mean, right. So it's, it's like something that you're doing as like a, you know, to say for yourself, for your portfolio, for your, well, for yourself. you know, we don't have any protection in our industry. Think about it. If you, you can't just, you can't just decide tomorrow by writing a check that you want to be a doctor. Right. Or a lawyer. Right, right, right. There, there, right. Are, there are hurdles that you have to jump through. In our business, anybody can become a winemaker. Uh, yeah. I mean, they don't even have to make wine and they can become a winemaker. Right. Hey, there's, man, there's one of my main mentors right there, Phil Katuri. Man, shout out to <laughs> Phil Katuri, man. <laughs> Phil Katuri's in the building right now. Let's get this gentleman a glass uh, of he's wine. Got, oh, he's got stains on and his. A, let's get him a glass of wine and a microphone. Brand new Harvest t shirt. Yeah. First day wearing it, tasting shout out wine. Ukraine. Uh, shout, shout out, out Ukraine, Ukraine. Uh, and it's already got wine all over it. Um, where do you want to start, Dan? Let's start him off with some with some Bart Park twenty ones. Seventeen Bart Park. Seventeen Bart Park. Ah, I love the taste. Of it. And Bart, will you get that microphone on him if you're gonna get a thing? Oh, okay. Get in there, Dan. Do you need another? Is there another? Uh, oh yeah. Okay. So we had to revisit. We had to revisit this wine. 17 Bar Park. I think the last time, one of the last times we tasted it together was before Bottle Rock several years ago when you attended that luncheon that I was hosting. I was, Correct, yeah. It was an honor to pour it for you. So now we see how it yeah. continues to evolve. That, that was quite a few years ago. It was. It was. That was pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic. Yeah. PP. PP. <laughs> PP or AC after Corona. Yeah, not after PPE COVID. or PPP, PPP. but PP, <laughs> pre-pandemic. Oh, man. Our, our lives of acronyms. Oh. It's really, I mean, it, the angularity that was there then that you were talking about. I mean, it's right. it's not, it's, it's come, it's beautiful. <laughs> you, you know. This is what we discussed today at the tasting I was doing. We we're tasting all 2021s. And this is when the wines, you know, as a 17, this is when we should taste it. Yep. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we taste wines way too young. Yeah. Way too much. Way, way too much. Too much too young. And, and, yeah. and the, 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 you know, you think about what you drank last night, you know, out of 15. You know, the, the, the 14, 14 Koroti. Yeah. You know, that, that we make wines and we celebrate wines that have the ability to become a little bit more mature than we are. Yes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
Well, that's what I want. You know, yeah. I, I, I want maturity. Right. Just in, in, in your wine, not in yourself. <laughs> not myself. I'll never be mature. But <laughs> as, as two uh, squirrels chase each other yeah. on a redwood tree. Yeah. Well, I don't <laughs> they're living the life. I, I, they're living I, I, the Napa life. Oh, wait. Sonoma yeah, life. <laughs> Hashtag. Yeah. Hashtag. Uh, I, I, I'm mature enough not to do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no, this is beautiful. Thank you, Phil. It was uh, 470 and 877, if I remember correctly. And Phil did something super cool. He he picked it vertically for me so I could have multiple clones. And that was one of the things early on in my career that I really appreciated is that, you know, if a grower is committed to doing the things that help a producer make great wine, then it's a great relationship. And I think the producer always also has to respect the grower. I think sometimes... Either way, we we miscommunicate. But I'm, I'm fortunate to work with growers who understand great wine. And I like to be a producer who is extremely respectful and appreciative of my growers. I mean, you know, that is the opportunity okay. that you have is to work with these growers. And 14 different To Oh, is that 18? Up, up to 15. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. about 15 different uh, wow. vineyards from Mendocino down to to Santa Barbara. That's my top wine. And that's also the current vintage is 2018. So I worked really hard to kind of hold the wines back so they would be more approachable. I mean, that's the, that's the toughest thing. It, I, I mean, I feel like that all the time with 16,600 will sell out of something. And that's, that's when it's starting to taste good. Yeah. Right. And you've like, you've sold every, and you know, 80% of those bottles were consumed already. Well, you got to pay and, those bills, man. Right. Well, you, you know, unfortunately, the, the fact remains: how should I make a living? Yeah, right, and, and we ha- we all have to do that. Yes, um, you know, and and with 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 the the, the, the having all these different ABAs in, in, into one bottle, you know, you're you're uh, making it it's really approachable. Thank you, you know, because the, the you know the the beauty of the seventeen um, Bartholomew Park. Is, is is that is the terroir from it? Yes, yeah, it terroir. tastes and smell like Bar Park. Yeah, and, and when you do when you do this, you, you make the wine that is is approachable, and it's definitely Syrah. Yes, um, and, and definitely the characteristics of the varietal are, are forward. Thank you, but I like vineyard designates. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had a we had an amazing conversation earlier about vineyard designates and. You know, I created a, a second brand called Decathlon where I can pull barrels out and they're single barrel uh, vineyard designate wines, a very small production. So in Artichassic, we're doing the blends mm-hmm. and then in Decathlon, we're doing like these very focused single vineyard wines. Oh, cool. Phil, have you seen my wife's article in the Wine Spectator? Yeah, I, I did. I, he I, hasn't I, brought his copy down to us yet. That's why we haven't seen I saw it the, 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 the pretty photo of your kids running around the swimming pool. Man, I'm proud of those kids. <laughs> yeah, Man, I'm proud. You should be proud of my wife and her parents. They've been super committed, and um, you know that's what that's what it takes. <laughs> oh, the, are we doing this now? Oh, we're tasting. We're going. We're going to uh, Rossi real quick. Yeah, let's taste yeah. it. This is twenty twenty two. This is twenty two. This is still is, on skins. That's what I was going to say. This isn't. This hasn't been pressed yet. It's not pressed yet. No, no, yeah. it's still on skins. Twenty twenty two. Twenty twenty two. Just after he made that statement about how we tasting too young, <laughs> we broke out the twenty two. <laughs> no, we're 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 tasting and and you know drinking. You know the, what you know. 
the you know the fruits of your labor yeah you know i tasted i just tasted 35 different 2020 2021s you know? oh yeah great vintage and it was amazing the tannins that are there how tannin forward the, the, those agree. are and having having not tasted those for a, for a while and 2022 is um there's a complexity with this vineyard this vintage that i have yet to unravel i agree you know this let's talk about let's talk about 22 (laughs) let's talk about this everyone's perception of this vintage so far (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's a i think you have to remove yourself like the vineyard aspect from the winemaking aspect like mm-hmm. you know phil's perception of what he's been going through compared to what we are in the winery is probably very different right yeah i would i would agree with that it's, so this is 10 it's, days it's, ago 14 days ago we harvested this for you yes sir yeah still on skin so still it's, on skin it's, it's about dry. to come off this week yes yeah, it's, it's dry but not really dry still absolutely it's a little yeah yeah well, yeah yeah. yeah we, 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 you know, I don't want you know if I was cut. a gentleman, I would have settled it for you all. You run it through a centrifuge. The sample, like, yeah. <laughs> can you spin? Can you spin okay. that that well? Because that's why people invented these medical Donuts devices. The lot, right? like, you put it in the cup holder yeah. and you just. People invented these medical devices so we could taste samples a little more clearly. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the yeah, the, the, the having get dizzy so they get aged. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, a, a compl- uh, the complexity of age. One of, one of the things I love about uh, Rossi, and specifically my block in Rossi, is just the depth, like the depth and the complexity and the, the how deep. And, you know, there's dark fruit, but there's also red fruit. So there's an amazing range. And then you also get that little kiss of herbaceousness from that forest that's like approaching right there at the end. You know, we were talking about Rossi at the tasting that was just that. And... Um, this little plug for the next hospice to run that I want to push to have Rossi be one of the featured branches. Yes. Seminar. The Rossi seminar because, because of wines like this yes, and, and the grenaches that come off there. And even though it's not a Rhone variety, pour some Zinfandel at hospice to run. <laughs> So, well, <laughs> you, you, the, 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 that that you know, in, in that zero, Ryan's not convinced. <laughs> well, you're that, not going to be able to sneak that past, you know. Who. But if you think if you think about it, in, in the, the 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 mixed blocks there, uh, the field the field blends mixed blocks, whatever you want to call them. Yes, that there are Rhone varieties in there. You know, like uh, there's number, Alicante. Number two and number three. Grenache Tenturier. Yeah. The unnamed, unnamed, the unnamed, named Rhone that is. Well, is a, we could have a, con- we could. Because we're just a controversial about, uh, seminar. We're, yeah, we're, yeah. Drop in some Alicante, drop in some Zinfandel. But, talk about it's, but the California the, runes. You, you think about where these vines were planted for over a hundred years uh, and why it is manifests itself in such a beautiful Rhone varieties, you know, and, and this, let me, a question I have for you before I, I have to, to, to run out of here. Cause I was, well, you have to taste the 2011, uh, Dos Limones before he you also has to taste the Kangloff. You're going to be late for your next, uh, you're going to be late anyway. So you're the, just going to yeah, be later. No, I'm trying not to be late anymore in my life. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, uh, the 2022, what, what, what was, was it as ripe as you expected? 
That's a that's a really great question. Is it as ripe um, as you were? Aware? Oh, okay. No, the shit, the numbers. Well, I think this year w- what I experienced is um, bricks were really tricky this year. I think when you look at the Gluckfruk, mm. and if you had like a really efficient um, conversion rate, the alcohols were higher than the Gluckfruk. I mean, than the um, than the bricks uh, anticipated. So there was something that you know, and I'm I'm not a viticultural expert, but there was something that happened this year where the bricks weren't climbing uh, in the same ratio of actually the potential alcohol. So I ended up with a lot higher alcohols than I anticipated based cool. on the bricks. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Because the, 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 the bricks, it was, it was a funny vintage in that, you know, thinking about the 21s, which I just tasted, which I was this big tan and they're huge wines. Yeah, they are big. And, and the canopies were really small. Yes. Drought, drought driven. 2022 is a drought driven vintage, except we had lush canopies. Um, and is it we like this because of spring rain. No, they were, they were lush because of what happened on October 24th of 2021 when we had an eight inch mm. rainfall all in the warmest November in history. And, and so all the vines kept building build up carbohydrates. This is part of my theory. And then we had spring rains and then we had mod- moderate warmth and then we had the dome of the, the dome of heat. Yes. That, that happened for seven to 10 days where, where it, it, it it's it got things some some varieties got uber ripe mm-hmm. some varieties stopped i think it injured not i don't know injured it it, it it did something to to the plant for the rest of the season there was two inches of rain that happened after that and bricks just uh, uh, the vines the fruit matured without the sugar the bricks rising yes and it's nice to see to, you know to see about the yeah, you know, alcohol is something we always associate with California wines. Yes, you know, and, and it'll be interesting to see. I, you know, the the the, uh, you know, maybe if we have fourteen to fourteen five alcohols in some wines, it's not a bad thing. It's a it's it's a definition of the vintage. I agree. So let's see what it does. Yeah. But then how about the stuff that came in at 37 bricks? <laughs> <laughs> but that's that other variety. We'll leave that right, right. to the I'm makers. not allowed to say that I had anything coming <laughs> in <laughs> that late. You know? <laughs> you know, no, wasn't that like that was that, that was that first week of goddamn September. We also shared a story earlier about how I normally pick Rossi is I go out there and then I, I text you and ask you, when can I, when can I get it off? <laughs> and you ask me, well, how soon? And I say, as soon as possible. <laughs> yeah, and, But I appreciate you always getting it off for me. Well, you know, as you know, I, I pride myself in when a winemaker wants his fruit, I want to make sure it's picked for him. And you bring it in super cold too. That Phil taught me the the meaning of cold soak, because uh, the fruit comes in and it's so cold. It's like, oh, that's a cold soak. But I always thought the cold soak was when you brought in the warm fruit and turned the tank down. (laughs) (laughs) My my, my Rossi fruit was forty two degrees. Yeah, that's a true cold soak. And and you know what was picked during the daytime? I I don't pick it middle of night. Right. Because the nighttime's warm. Yes, it, do, it doesn't cool off for the most part until four o'clock in the morning. Yes, you know, in places like rock, especially on the hillsides, which means the fruit isn't really getting. If the air is cold at four, to actually like make the berry cold, mm. it's going to take another hour or two. So that six a.m. seven a.m. start is truly when the the air might be warming up, but the fruit isn't warming up. 
I want to be super respectful of Phil's time, so we have to taste this okay. yeah. this Gangloff. We're gonna we're gonna pass it around, and I'm gonna as a former that, that eleven is beautiful. That eleven is amazing. Eleven sixteen six hundred Syrah. Uh, eleven was the year Gosh, that, is that when we had big brain. Yes. Yeah, eleven was the year that the only year I've ever seen Betratus and Cabernet. Right. Oh, that's right. And you know, uh, wow, if, if you care about critics, eleven was at least on the, out of the gate a sort of critically panned vintage, right? A ten and an eleven, both, but they're beautiful vintages. But but on re, you know, re, being revisited, they they showed well. Yeah. You got to go back to the the first guy. I always gets shorted. That's an old sommelier trick. Go, yeah, because you're worried. Yeah, you're worried. You're gonna <laughs> run out. So what do we have here? We have La Serene Noir. Coat Roti 2014 from Domaine Gangloff, one of my favorite producers. Phil, you got any Eve stories, Eve Gangloff stories, or Terry Aliman stories? Because those are two of my favorite producers. Eve, I, I tasted with when I was just back there. And um, he's, he's, a, he's a brilliant guy. He, he is, is uh, uh, he has the ability to have to keep separate all these different varieties in different in different blocks. Yes, uh, and uh, you know the, the it, it was my first visit to Coat Roti. It was my first time that I met Eve, um, and, and I know he's been over here a lot. Uh, and, and he's just he he's he's a mensch. He's this little elf that runs through the vineyards and. <laughs> and, and, and and you know, then I went into his wine and I go, "Holy shit!" <laughs> I mean, it's 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 it's, it's, it's a beautiful it's a beautiful piece of work. It's a huge warehouse. Yes, but he he understands he understands grapes. Yes, and and, and it's manifested in, in you know Syrah. It's red olives. Like it's not something that I don't understand as a concept, but that's all I can think in my brain is it's like it's all this red fruit, but yeah. all this sort of like. The tannin of olives, but the sweet tannin of olives. Yeah. Yes. If, 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 if olives were sweet, this was what, like it'd be like a well, ripe juice. There, there, there is that variety of olive trees that yeah. I got some that you could eat it without. You can, without, you can eat raw, it. right? And, 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 and the mouthfeel is so full. Yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and the wine is so delicate. Without being heavy. Right. Yeah, That's right. the key. It's, yeah. It's, <laughs> well, we talk, richness and lightness. Yeah. Like we talked about the richness and weightlessness. Yeah, richness and weightlessness. Matt Courtney, where are you at? The, the, the understanding of under, the lightness of being, whatever the name of that booklet. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Ernie. Yeah. You know, I could. I didn't feel right if I just sat on my couch and drank the whole bottle. I had to share it. Party of it would have been like, hey guys, I drank this wine I drank this wine last night. You would have loved it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks for Thank go you. pull a go pull a fresh harvest shirt out of the box, huh? <laughs> no, it's, 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 it's the patina of the that was that was a that was that was this Syrah. <laughs> Hey, Phil Katuri. Shout out Phil Katuri. Ting, ting, ting. A Phil cameo. We'll put that in the episode notes. That's one of those famous tasting shirts. If you if you work in a tasting room like I have, you got those guys that come in and they have a a shirt that has all the different spills on it, and then they'll take a, a permanent marker and they'll, they'll add, write on the varietal add new and, the, and the vintage. Well, <laughs> you know, Paul was advocating that. That's the difference between Sonoma and Napa right there. Right. I, I like that. You know, I, I'll tell you what, A, I can never do this podcast without appearance from phil and b i think that shows the charm life that i live to 
have a legend come by and you know people ask me all the time they say oh like how do i get into the wine business well first of all you need to be somewhere where wine is made like the fact that i was sitting in this chair i got to spend that moment with phil so you know you got to get there and i thank my wife for that i was working basically as a waiter in 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 uh, miami and she said, hey, you're out of here. Like, you need to move to Napa. And that changed the trajectory of my career. That one person believed in me that I get to sit in this chair and do this amazing podcast with you all and, and spend this day and have Phil come by. Like, you got to, that's the first step. The first step is you need to get somewhere where that's happening. And that's happening in Napa. It's happening in Sonoma. It's happening right now in Paso Robles and Santa Barbara. And, like, that was a cool moment for me. Like, I never take those kind of things for granted to be able to have like the legends. Like I talked earlier about, you know, John Consgar, Phil just sat down. I was up in New York at the Spectator. Then I had a conversation with Bruna Giacosa. And then across from us uh, was the winemaker for Ridge for 21 years. I talked to him about yeah. my Monterosso Zen. So you have to get active. Like I, sometimes I, I'll be honest with you, I get tired of that question. It's like, well, how do I get in the wine business? Like, well, get in it. Like it's out here for you. Right. It doesn't happen where you are unless you're here. Yeah, come on out. Yeah. I love those moments. I that's why I love hospice too when I'm like sitting in line to get into the tasting and I'm standing with Randall Graham, Nicole Rolet from Sean Blue and and Hawk Waka Waka and we're just having a conversation about what we're going to try today and right. I I almost have to pinch myself like the fuck am I doing here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and be grateful when you get there. Yeah. You know, like cuz there's somebody else that would die to be where you are. Yeah, sure. absolutely. All right, did we ever try the Grenache? The Oakville Grenache? Man, yeah. Look at it. the sediment on that bottle. Well, this is the bottle that wasn't I it, did. Uh, Kyle that came the other day and was... And he wanted to... He wanted to so he's in a, in a tasting group, and I don't know if we're allowed to talk about this, called the something Ascots. The Dumb Ascots? The Dumb Ascots. Uh, it stands for something, but... Um, and so he's in a Dude, taste group that, where they chug that Gangloff. Chug that Gangloff. Chug that Coat Roti. I drank with, half the bottle man. last night, so I was good. <laughs> <laughs> Sam and was he, trying to savor it. I, he came I, I in the other day looking for looking much. for this bottle because he was doing a blind tasting and said it it represented something specific um, for the tasting. Yeah, there, and it's like it's got to be a certain age and got to be a certain age. But he was like looking for something to be like a, unique. Yeah, um, and so he was looking for a bottle of this. And I don't, whatever price you told him, he obviously didn't. Well, he'll come back because he won't listen to the show. Maybe he'll listen. There to the was show. three bottles. There is now two. Well, I think we, no. I think we have some more in the warehouse somewhere. Okay. Yeah. I think Jasmine said there's more. What do we got here? This is 2014 Oakville Grenache. I think this is the first one we made. I was going to say, it must have been. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So this has got to be young vine, right? Relatively, yeah. This would have been, yeah. I think those vines well, were probably planted in 10. Right. So this is probably the first harvest. Was this a T-bud over? Or this no, was this, grown was, this was grown, grown from rootstock. Okay. Yeah. Third leaf. Third leaf, fourth leaf. Yeah. I picked some third leaf off of our new property in Rutherford. We we're built. We're finishing the build on a house, and uh, and it's it's a five acre property. It's an acre and a half, you know, home site, like three and a half acre vineyards. I was able to uh, to sneak in a little bit of Syrah over there. So we have a we have like a point one uh, six tons <laughs> came off of it this year, and we did a pick with with uh, with my wife and the kids. Uh, so it's very special to have that third leaf. Um, you know, new vineyard and be able to see it and appreciate the journey. Right. Yeah. Sort of a similar story, I think with these, with this Grenache, right. Mm -hmm. This is something that 
wasn't present in the vineyard, um, but Phil decided to kind of, you know, this is planting freaking Grenache in yeah. Oakville Ranch where, you know, like I, the, I always say, the, uh, Ooh, that line's opening uh, up. I see. It, uh, I'll, after buying a used car, I have to adjust this joke, but I always say that, you know, you could buy a nice used car or a ton of Oakville Grenache. Right. Now now it's maybe two tons of Oakville <laughs> Grenache gets you to a used car because used cars are fucking expensive. But, uh, you know, the economics you of... stepped up your car game. Yeah, so. maybe, maybe that's what I... A nice car isn't uh, what I thought it was. Um, you know, the economics of planting Grenache, especially 15 years ago in Oakville, didn't make any sense yeah. um and you know it's it, because of that it's you know it's an anomaly it's a explain it's a, grenache because people know pinot noir but they don't know grenache well if you if you know pinot noir you love grenache okay um it is right it's it's the way to the flavors that you love of pinot noir yeah. delivered in a bigger more readily uh, available format yeah um you know it's it's power and elegance uh it's the most elegant of the roan varieties for sure um but can be just as big and brooding as any Mouvedra or any syrah um uh, it looks like you know this wild um you know it always has shatter you're looking at these these crazy clusters shoulders that, that and that grow up Instead of down, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it's you know let to be head trained the way it should be, um, and you know it can have really highly variable yields in a way that I think um, you know maybe this year said differently about Cabernet, and, but a lot of the varieties that we grow here, Syrah, you know, much more consistent in the, in their yields than than Grenache is like way up and then way down from year over year, um, and and Grenache is it takes it takes time for grenache flavors to fill in it will accumulate sugar before flavor right and then there's always the thing about the tannin in the skins yeah, which the i learned from your too. father right is is there's a point where the skins are tannic 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 yeah and then it makes a shift right. and 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 they're palatable yeah totally uh, and and but because of all the, you know it, it looks like this big Right. Tow, you know powerful wine but when you when you nail it it has this sort of uh, inherent elegance um and that is you know again if, if you know pinot noir you love the elegance that grenache can have when you know when it's nailed yeah. and i think a lot of people i think there's a very fine line on how much syrah it, like in a in a gsm or a gms you know i think there's a, a very fine line of how much Mouvedre or how much especially Syrah you can put in with Grenache before you've you've lost the identity. And and more and more I think it's almost zero Syrah. I agree. I think it's Mouvedre. Yeah, I think it's Grenache and Mouvedre. I mean I get get a Grenache from Mendocino that I do 100% whole cluster and then I get some Grenache from Ann Kramer um, at Shake Ridge and like my GSMs are, yeah, Ann. Thank you, Ann. Um I mean, my GSMs are, are a large percentage of Grenache, 
some more ved and pretty much no syrah because syrah is pretty loud and i already make syrah so i don't want to make a wine that kind of tastes like syrah exactly right but that exactly. beautiful like and, you, and that can happen at five percent yeah for sure right? yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's like the whole Petit Sarazin relationship. Yeah. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> you better be careful. Yeah. Well, that's exactly right because Zinfandel will lose its identity very quickly. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so. Petit Sarazin's a bully. <laughs> this is really starting to open up nicely. Right. Or wasn't out of, out of the out of the bit. I was like, oh, this might not be in a place anymore. But um, I think, but there's like a sweet, it's getting meaty. Yeah, and meaty and and sweet. Yeah, I understand yeah. what you're saying aromatically. Yeah. You are worried, but the wine's opening up and the palate's getting meaty. And I think what's really different, though, about Pinot Noir and Grenache is that in Pinot Noir, you sort of get that cherry cola thing going on. But in Grenache, you get the um, licorice mm-hmm. thing. And sometimes it's red vine at the movies, getting the red vine mm-hmm. licorice. And then, then it goes all the way to yes. black licorice, That's where it's at right fennel, now. caraway. Like it, depending those, on those where like you're catching it. Dense Thick, what are the like panda brand of the black licorice? You know, right? Those you, like, ones that like, strictly you for the in, hardcore. Yeah, you got to bite right. into it. That, well, that's that was <laughs> a that was a Jerry Garcia thing. He would always say that the Grateful Dead were like black licorice. Right. You know, the not everybody likes it, but the people who like it fucking love it. You know. Yeah. Before we, I, I don't want to wrap up without asking you all this. I want to get everyone's opinion of what you look for in a great wine because I think a lot of a lot of people often ask, like, oh, what's, you know, what makes one wine better than the other? What do you all look for in a really amazing wine? I mean, I'll start that off is that I think for me it's changed. It used to be about texture and power. And now I think I'm looking for aromatics. Yeah. Like, I want to be captivated by the aromatics and then let the other stuff kind of fall into place. Mm. Pleasure. I'm looking for that endorphin hit of yeah. when, and you know, sure, alcohol does that, but um, bec- the aromatics, the texture, that when it hits the things that, in, you know, create an endorphin hit that make you happy and feel good, uh, and that happens in all styles, in all varieties, mm-hmm. in rosé, in sparkling, in white, in Cabernet, in Pinot Noir, in Grenache, and Syrah, it's, it, you know... And, and, uh, you know, you don't know how to necessarily, we can't make that, right? We, we're trying to get there always, uh, but, you know, the Gangloff wine where you like, you know, you taste wine all the time. Uh, I almost like by muscle memory swish and spit wine when I, I I'll do it to water when I'm not thinking of like, I'm like, oh, what the fuck am I doing? I don't need to aerate this water. Uh, um, but when you get a wine in your mouth that you just want to drink, mm-hmm. and that's what I'm that's what I'm looking for, yeah. uh, and it, and it happens in so many different ways that I can't say like oh I I like rich aromatic I, you know I, it, there's there's so many ways to get there that uh, you just want to keep looking, right? I'm I'm like Guardian that I get to try a lot of wine, so I'm lucky that um, and so a part of me is. I love to try really unique things. I want to try the pick pool from Julie Bonneau that was aged in oak, put in a shark tank, dropped in an oyster farm. Right. <laughs> right. I want to try the Vanessa Bianco 2014 from an extinct varietal that all of a sudden was found in backyards. And then then you get a chance to, to try. But at the end of the day, what do I want to drink every day is something that when I drink it, I say I want more. 
your Syrah blend from California, every time I take a sip of it, I go, oh man, I really want another sip. I appreciate that. Yeah. For me, it's just focus. Like I think, I think far too often we charge people with not making a wine that they're not trying to make. You know, like if someone's not trying to make a big wine, then you shouldn't say, oh, well, I wish the wine was big. I think the <laughs> focus of a winemaker, did you execute what you were trying to do? And if you did, where do you rank globally in that execution? I think that's very important uh, for me. I mean, my wife and I, we drink all different types of wines. Um, and that's the thing I'm excited about our new wine cellar is just having so much diversity in the cellar. But I want to give the respect to the winemakers and say, you know what, what type of wine were you trying to make before I judge whether I like the wine or not? And I think the word like is something that I see far too often with consumers is, uh, first of all, the word favorite and then like or dislike. It's like, I think we should try to understand before we decide whether we like or dislike. So if a wine is very focused and a winemaker got to a place that they intended to be, and then I take that wine and I look globally of people who are making that type of wine and they're up at the top, whether I like the wine or not, or whether I'm used to that wine or not, I still have to give that winemaker the credit for doing the art that they intended to do. And and you're right. There's a, there's far too many people that say, oh, I don't like Zinfandel. The fuck does that mean? Yeah. I mean, have you tried every... We could find some great Zin that they would like. Right. right. A and, lot of and it. And so it's a, a part of it, you're right, is, is opening up your mind a little bit. And people yeah. like Steve Mathiasen are not going to make a wine that's going to clobber you over the head with, right. with oak and, and texture. I mean, it's it's about lightness and, and acid. Yes. Um, so you're right. It's in a way it's appreciating the, the people that are making the wine. So here's a question for you already is that do you sometimes feel that, you know, uh, one of your own wines that, you know, the wine too much that it clouds your perception of it? Right. Because I find that there are wines that I, and Brian's accused me of this, you know, of, of knowing something that I wasn't necessarily wasn't part of my plan and I let it hang over me. But the fact is the consumers just absolutely love the wine and you need to kind of let go of it. And, are, no, are you, you, and then you, you call that contango? Vocally, right? <laughs> you... <laughs> is, that, is that what contango? Is that the no, definition no, of contango? No, no. Bart, can I tell you? So this happened to me the other night that three women out at the fire pit in front of the Fairmont, I was told that they would, you know like, I mean? to, they would like to see the song. So I, I, I said, well, what do they want? They want to talk to you about some wine. Okay, so I brought a wine list with me. And they said, there was no winery the other day, so one of the people at the hotel poured wines for our everyday wine tasting. And they loved this Dane Cellars wine that they poured. And then every tasting that they went on after that, they were disappointed because they didn't have anything that tasted like. So I had to kind of dig in because I wasn't there. <laughs> so then I find out it's the Contango blend that we're pouring by the glass. And so I said to them, okay, well, I can... I can sell you some right now. They said, oh, yeah, we'll take three bottles right now. And then will you please put us in touch with Bart because we'd like to buy some wine going forward. But it it was it was it was one of those fun experiences where you're like, oh, yeah, well, I can put you in touch with and and love. I, I love hearing that about you because I know that wine was a bit challenging for you, too. 
It's and the most winemaking I've had to do on a wine there you go. since I started my brand. Right. Right. Like I like to say that we buy grapes from really good growers and we let the wines express themselves. Right. Right. But in that case, it was challenging <laughs> the entire, right. Right. entire time. And it's fun to find those people that it's that wine spoke to them for whatever reason. I don't know why. And, and for and, some reason, that wine was like the, the best wine that they had ever had. And then they judged everything else going forward on that wine. And I have and I have great customers who love wines and they're like, you know, Bart, it's just not doing it for me. And I had just have to go. I understand, you know, yeah, to, you know, to, to answer that question, that's the juxtaposition, I think, of being an artist, which the winemaking part of me is an artist. But then also the owner portion of me is a businessman. So yeah. I try to make the best wines I can possibly make. And I try to honor the growers. I try to honor the terroir and my family. But once we put the cork in, then I have to find the wines that my clients want. Yep. So you have to remove this emotion that you have, whether it was a challenging vintage or an easy vintage, or whether you love that ferment or that smell that came out of that ferment, which never emerges again, you know, like, I think it's just it's it's a it's a maturation process of understanding that you know we're we're businessmen and businesswomen and but we're also artists and if we're not great businessmen and businesswomen then we don't get to do the art then the business doesn't work so you have to understand when it's time to be an artist and it's time to be a businessman or businesswoman and I've I've really like become committed to um, once the cork is in the bottle I become the client. Like yep. I, I sit at far too many dinners where people criticize other people's wine or criticize their own wine. And that just doesn't sound fun to me. Right. Like I would just rather figure out, figure out what's great about the wine versus what's wrong with the wine. That's awesome, Marty. And uh, that's just the journey that I'm on right now. It's awesome. It's awesome. The philosophy of Marty Johnson. I, I mean, I didn't know that we were going to have a philosophy lesson today, but. And all his mentors. Yeah. <laughs> huh. The I synthesis mean, of the mentors. I mean, I always, when, when, you know? when, when we have people on the show, uh, they ask about it. I always say, it's just a conversation. And, and already this has been a great conversation. Yep. And cheers to you, my friend. Thank yeah. you. I appreciate the opportunity to be here. So good doing it live as opposed to yeah. Zooming. Yeah, no shit. You all are, are friends of mine, but also colleagues, people I have a lot of respect for in this industry, people that are going to continue to, push this industry forward and I, i'm i'm grateful um i'm grateful to be here and like i said it's really special to sit down and just talk about wine and talk about the industry and i think we all have uh, a responsibility to keep that going you know i think our clients and the people who love this business and spend good money on all the wines we make they want to hear from us they want to hear what we have to say they want they don't get to be here 365 days like we do so we have to you know, this, this is my challenge to Napa and Sonoma and Paso and all the other regions is like, let's not get too casual with this whole thing. Like, let's let's appreciate what it is and let's be the professionals that we are. And let's share that with our clients because they need that from us. There you go. All right. Let's let people um, give them give them a way that they can reach out and get a hold of the wines because your your wines are not wines that are readily available in in. Um, normal supermarkets or even wine shops. I'm a little unintentionally recluse. Right. Um, but I'm easily <laughs> <You're just> busy. <laughs> I'm easily found yeah, on Instagram at wine XYZ. Um, 
at Wine XYZ. I try to give everybody an inside look at what I'm doing. You can send me a message um, and then I'll reach out to you. If you'd like to learn more about the wines, send me your email and I'm happy to, to, to send you more information on what I've got going on. All right. That's And that's basically the only way to get any, right? I mean, the only way I've ever bought any is because I, I was like, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I maybe I didn't even pay. One thing <laughs> I'm gonna bring it, bring some wine by. One thing I'm super <laughs> passionate about is like locally uh, in Napa and Sonoma. I have and a, a few other little parts of Northern California. There's you know my wines at Laundry Bouchon, uh, Meadowood, Auberge, Cadet, uh, V Wine Cellars, uh, Palace Market. Uh, for those Sonoma of you, Market. I mean, Sonoma. I mean, I mean uh, Sonoma's best. Sonoma's best. Man, Todd, shout out to Todd. Sonoma's best. One of the best wine shops in the country, yep. for real. Um, but, you know, if if it probably make, uh, if you want to learn more about the what I'm doing, like reach out to me through Instagram or support my restaurant partners. Yeah. There you go. Right on. There you go. Support the restaurants. Support the restaurants. Wow. Buy more wine. Subscribe. Review. Share with your friends. Tell them all about that hashtag Sonoma Life. That was special. <laughs> that was a good. I uh, know that was that was a deep one. That yeah, it's awesome. Thank yeah. you, Artie. Thank no, you, thank Artie. you. Yeah. Thanks for coming over. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate you all. Nice to have Phil on the show. That's I don't know. That's only like the third time Phil has actually. Been yeah, we get way thing. more of Phil's truck driving by than we actually right. get. You know, and I mean, smell. and and. You know, with all the honors and, and respect that you paid to your mentors, um, Phil doesn't stop and sit down at every table that we're podcasting <laughs> back here. Exactly and right. it says a lot about, you know, how, how he feels about you and, and how we all feel about you. Thank and you. A lot of respect. I mean, Thank I'll you. say it. He actually backed up. Yeah, he did, he did back up. He, although he didn't end his phone call. So it, we didn't go all the way. He still sat there on the phone for 10 minutes before he got out. So. Uh. All right, you guys, thanks for listening. We'll look forward to uh, John Myers getting back and then um, sitting down next week with uh, Heidi from uh, Mary Edwards, correct? Yeah, and then uh, the folks from Sonoma Portworks the week after. Got it. Uh, uh, Karen and, and Bill conscious, reading. And Conscious, conscious Containers container. with Karen McNamara got a nice oh, little article. Oh, big story, right? Nice, 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 nice Do you guys want to talk about that or you just want to? No, no, we'll just tease it. We'll just tease it. Tease it. Okay. Reuse your bottles. Save your bottles. Yeah. Okay. Save the world. Yeah. I All look right. forward to talking to you next week. Thanks, Artie. Thank you.